Welcome to the Auburn Live podcast, your home for bold, insightful, and honest conversations around Auburn athletics. All right, welcome into another Auburn Live show. I am Justin Hokinson uh, from AuburnLive.com, part of the On3 Sports Network. Uh, and as we always do um, after Auburn football games, we catch up with former Auburn quarterback Ben Leard for our Monday morning quarterback segment. Um, ben, what's up, man? How's your weekend, Ben? Well, um, with the exception of the absolute debacle meltdown that we experienced yesterday between the hours of about what? One and three p.m. Yeah. Other than that, man, it's been a great weekend. Um, I got my support the troop shirt on Veterans Day, Veterans Weekends. Thought I'd, I thought I would uh, just kind of give give some love to the to the vets um, for the podcast today. Um, yeah, man, I don't know where to start with that game. Um, I mean, it's it it's still still like a day later. We record this on Sunday, um, and for most people that listen to it on Monday morning, um, and it's hard it's hard to fathom. I mean, I I don't know. Like one day we'll look back on this and maybe believe it, but it's still it's still so astonishing what happened. I mean, if you break down, you know, if I just told you Auburn blew a twenty eight to three lead, just just that. That that would be pretty remarkable. If I told you they did that at home, that would be more remarkable. If I told you they did that at home while Bo Nix threw for almost 400 yards and two touchdowns and no turnovers, you'd be like, all right, th- this doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, and then if I told you that they not they didn't just blow the 25-point lead at home, they allowed the other team to score 40 unanswered points, 40 straight six, points. Six straight touchdown possessions. Six straight. Yes, six six straight. Uh, yes, yeah, six straight. I was trying to think because they, the, they had the possession right before halftime that I really don't count, you know. Um, well, but at the same time, that was, that was really what – that was a, a scenario for them that you look at it they scored right before the half, get the ball. I mean, it was a it was a perfect storm. And I and I guess it's just me, Hoke, and I I know it's a total team effort or lack thereof. But man, when you're up 28 to 3 or 28 to 10 at the half, the message to that football team, especially the defensive unit, is guys, if they don't score again, we win. Period. Yeah. Offensively, in my mind, Offensively, they had done their job at that point. They yeah. had done yeah. what they needed to get done. They had scored 28 points. They Mississippi State had zero idea of what was going on defensively versus Auburn's offense. Now, what was so frustrating to watch, and this is this is pointing the finger at the defense, there were zero zero changes or adjustments made at any point in time. Will Rogers had all freaking day to sit back in the pocket and absolutely just surgically dissect the secondary for Auburn. And yeah. it was, it was horrendous to watch the kid. They look that he made great throws. They made great catches, but at the end of the day, 
at some point as a defensive coordinator, as, as somebody that's making decisions, when you see that your three guys are not getting any type of pressure on a consistent basis and he's able to sit back there and drink a Pepsi and eat a sandwich, yeah. you need to do something different. Yeah. And, and, and granted, you, people, can, people can look at it from a negative perspective and talk about the offense, but, hell, the offense has scored 28 points, man. 28 points in most, in most scenarios wins games. Yeah. And I, I just – it was painful to watch. I mean, it was painful to, between the defensive situation which, and, I, and it, there has to be logic behind it, but why you go for two points in that scenario, it was game over then. Yeah. When, when, you, when you do not successfully convert that two-point conversion, you needed two more possessions in order to even come – within come within a reasonable opportunity to win the football game. If in fact you kick the extra point, you at least give yourself a situation where you're down by eight and it's one possession, whether you kick an onside kick and successfully recover it, or you roll the dice, kick it deep and try some way to stop them yeah. on it and, and cause them to punt and turn the ball over. I, I just, there were a lot of decisions made that I obviously think that that they they start from the top down. A lot of decisions made yesterday that it just kind of left me scratching my head. And it was most importantly on two special te- what I would consider special teams decisions. One going for two, and the other the the, the fake punt. I, I just I, that baffles me too. But then the lack of adjustments made on defense, especially in the second half, were were mind boggling. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack. I think um, real quickly on the two-point conversion, um, I agree. Like, I don't know what the analytics say in that case, but but that's a case where, in my in my opinion, I, I think you you keep momentum and hope on your side, and that's by kicking the extra point. You keep it within eight, which is one possession. Your defense goes out there; they know it's one possession. The offense now from Mississippi State knows it's one possession. Um, it puts pressure on them. And I, I think when you go for it and don't get it, you, you there's more risk there. Now, we, we're we sitting here playing, as we do, Monday morning quarterback. If they right. get it, right, if they get it, it's it's touchdown. And to think about the momentum that comes off that. Like so, But I think the risk there is, is a little too much to kick the extra point, keep the momentum. The only thing I can think is by going for it and either getting it or don't get it, you, you you know more clearly what's ahead of you. I, I don't know. Like you know, if you don't get it, we got to score twice. So you know, you then have to kick an onside kick or but, but or how, what? How, but, I mean, I, I think I think you know more by kicking it. I think you know yeah. you know you know your path, right? Yeah. You know, hey, line up, kick the extra point. We're we're down by eight, and then yeah. at that point, the only true decision you have to make is: do we attempt an onside kick, right? Or, right, or or do we kick it deep? Yeah. And, and and play defense and utilize our timeouts, you know, and do what we need to do and try and give our offense a, a situation to win the football game or tie the the football game. Most importantly, and, and and granted, the logic behind that could have been, man, we you know we can't we can't feel confident about giving them the football back. Well, hell, you were giving them the ball back anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean that they were going to have to stop them offensively in order to get the ball back to even tie the game in the first place. So you're right. 
there, there could have been something analytically that was telling him something, telling him otherwise, you know, that led to that decision, but just in your gut and having, having the experience and coaching the number of games that he's coached, I just, I, I did not understand that decision. I did not understand the, the fake punt. That could have been a situation, honestly, yeah. where it's, you know, Chap, Chapman could have made the wrong decision. You know, a lot of times, and I don't know this, I don't know this. Well, he said it. He called it. And, well, all right, so that was that was a bad call. Yeah. It was a horrible, horrible call, yeah. especially when you, line, when you line up and punt and they're in punt safe. There's no way that's going to be successful. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Why, why not, you know, why not line up and punt and have Chapman have two options? If they are doing this, then you kick the football. If they are doing this, then we run the fake punt. That's that's a level of decision making or a level of of execution that that they need to expect Chapman to be able to make. Yeah. But that to me that was the start of the nail in the coffin for the game. That it was it just a, it showed desperation. Yeah. It showed exactly. a lot in the desperation mood. Yeah. When that I, I actually tweeted that I said when, when when that didn't happen I said all right it's it's full desperation mode now um, if that's what yeah. you're calling, um, man. It's, I mean, I think it's easy. First of all, Will Rogers' performance was, um, I mean, I won't see a better performance. I mean, I might see a subjectively better performance uh, from a quarterback in Jordan Hare Stadium. Maybe a guy guts out an injury, running, like I could subjectively, but the guy was 24 of 26 in the second half um, for, for, five touchdowns in the second half of that football game um completed incomplete two touchdowns five he was, um, he was lights out so it's like and even if you go back i, I can't I have to do it off the top of my head but really from the second quarter on from the second yeah. quarter on he was like 34 of 38 um after starting the game 50 percent, like he was seven for 14 or something like that to start off with um and, and so, i'll tell you too I'll tell you too, Hope. One of the most one of the most prophetic things that happened during that ball game is I, I watched the I watched the cut up afterwards, the TV copy, and the 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 sideline reporter, the sideline analyst, made the comment during the first quarter after a couple of stymied drives by by Mississippi State's offense. She overheard Mike Leach telling his offensive unit, called them all together, and said, "Guys, they cannot stop us. They can't do it." We are only stopping ourselves. Dial it in, do your jobs, and they cannot stop us. Well, who'd have thunk it? I mean, they they absolutely railroaded our defense. Wow. About the second – from about – honestly, really that last drive of the second quarter through the end of the ballgame. And, and, and Auburn, unfortunately, showed they had no answers. And it wasn't as if they were going through multiple choice situations. They ran the same exact stuff every single time. And it was, it's hard. It's, it's frustrating to talk about. It is. It is. And, and, and that game went like I thought it would, and it didn't go like I thought it would. I thought Mississippi state, I said all week, I said, I said, just prepare yourselves 
Auburn fans, Auburn defense, whatever, just prepare yourself. They're going to complete a lot of passes. I said he would complete 35 passes in the game, like comfortably. I'm like, he's going to complete th- at least 35. Um, I think he had that like at the end of the third quarter. Um, but I'm like, the way Auburn played, I'm like, he's going to complete a bunch of passes. What I thought was, I thought Auburn would 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 tighten down. Um, with that kind of offense, sometimes the red zone can be difficult. So I thought Auburn would clamp down, force a couple field goals, maybe get a turnover. And and I thought the yardage would be fine for State. I thought they'd pass for a lot of yards, but I thought Auburn would keep them to like 24 points. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. Unfortunately, Auburn didn't just give up the yards in the middle of the field. They gave up the yards all the way to the end zone and continuously couldn't cover slants at back of the end zone and all that. And so um, you're, that's an interesting tidbit. I didn't know about the Mike Leach saying that. I think – when you look at it, the defense being the more frustrating part of that game, I think is the easy call because six straight touchdowns, 40 unanswered points. But like for the second, you know, well, I say for the second, I mean, really you go back to Ole Miss, uh, the second half, the entire A&M game, and then the second half. So you're talking about four good quarters out of 12 um, in the last three games for the offense. Yep. I don't know. I mean, defense would be the easy answer to what was more disappointing out of that game. But another second half collapse from the offense is is equally disappointing. It is. Because they just did it. If it were a one-time thing, I would say defense easily. But the offense did that against Ole Miss. And then they did it the entire game against A&M. And then the second half, again, they go missing. That, that is That is hard to explain outside of – Good initial game planning, good initial um, play calling out of the gate from Bobo. H- how do you not explain that as then once teams sort of get into the game, get into the rhythm, you become predictable? I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't see Bobo going conservative. I don't see him dramatically changing the play calls as the game I, goes I, by. How do you explain it? It, it, didn't, it didn't look as if they – it didn't look as if he changed his tactics. I mean, he you ran know, a little they, bit. Like, there was a possession or two where all of a sudden they come out and it was like, run, run. And you're thinking – but I think part of that was Mississippi State starting to go on a run, and Bobo thought, I need, right. I've, got to, I've got to mix in more runs. We've got to figure this out uh, and shorten yeah. the game. But, I mean, other than that um, – And, and honestly, it just – you're right, man. I mean, you, you look at it, and, and if you have as, – as an offense, you can come back and – and and look at them and dissect their lack of execution in the second half to the point of just stepping on their throat, you know? I mean, just any type of any, any continuation of the, of the success that was had in the first half, that game's over. Yep. If, if they not – no, no, don't have to score touchdowns on your on your – on four consecutive possessions like you did in the first and second quarters, but just some points – Field goals, sustain a drive or two, you know, do something to step on them. And and that game's over. It's finished. Yeah. But and I, I agree with you. I think po- the possibility of my ming- you know, kind of intermingling a few more runs probably played in part of his pr- trying to protect Auburn's defense because they knew as a staff, well, we give the ball back to them, they're gonna score. I mean, we've we've got to milk it some way, somehow, and they just weren't able to find opportunities to gash them in the run game and get a, you know, a second and two or a second and three to where you could 
you know, you could justifiably run the ball again or on three or four consecutive plays and not put you in an obvious passing situation. And that, that was difficult. I mean, I think the number one Achilles heel right now, in my opinion for Auburn is they do not know how to finish. They don't know how to finish. Which can I just stop you there? That's, I mean, that's amazing because if you think about how the season started, forget the first two games, um, Penn State close game, fine. Um, you know that 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 was a, that was a tough game. But if you think about, it, they finished against Georgia State, they finished against LSU, they finished against Arkansas. That last drive yeah. to put a hammer, to put a nail in the coffin of that game. Um, the the Ole Miss. I mean, the, the last they didn't do much in the second half, but they ran it on that last possession every yeah. every down and ran out the clock. So there have been games where they did finish, and then yeah. exactly like you're saying. You look at the A&M game where they, the fourth quarter, they got dominated. And then the Mississippi State game where, where they, where they don't, they don't finish well at all. Um, yeah. In Ole Miss, you could say they didn't finish well and they did. Like I give them credit for running the ball, but also the second half was not great on offense. So I don't really, I don't, it, I think it goes back to what Harson has said all along, which is they're inconsistent in everything they do in execution, yeah. in preparation, they're inconsistent in everything they do. And what happens? You see a great half like Ole Miss and a great half like Mississippi State. And, you know, and, and then you see terrible halves. What you see is what you're seeing on the field. And it's something Harson said over and over and over again. I don't think it's a big secret. I mean, if you go back and listen to what Harson has said all year, he's telling you, we got to be more consistent. I got to see my guys prepare better and be more consistent. He's even talked about. You know, there's guys that are dialed in on the front row of film study, and then there's guys that are not. And 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 talked about how, you know, hey, that that's gonna carry over to the game. Yep. That honestly is a level of maturity, in, in in my opinion. That's a level of maturity top to bottom. And there's certain things, there's certain pieces of that that leadership just can't quite weed out. Not even not even martial law inside the locker room. There's parts of that you've got to let that you've got to let that filter itself out, let it graduate, and then bring in better, yeah. bring in, and 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 create that type of environment that it's unacceptable. And and honestly, man, you said it best. If if you were to talk, if we were to talk about this ball game after the fact and having not watched it, and we started rattling off Auburn's offensive statistics, especially Bo's statistics, no way in the world Auburn loses that game. No way. But that's also that's also the second statement that we would make in consecutive weeks. Because on the flip side of it, if we talked about Sunday's the game on Sunday versus Texas A&M, or we were talking on Sunday after the game against Texas A&M, and you were to tell me that Texas A&M didn't score a single offensive touchdown, I'd bet my house that Auburn wins that game. Yeah. And, and so it's just – that part of it, you know, you look at it, you look at the offensive performance. I thought the receivers stepped up and played great. They made catches. I mean, Kobe Hudson had the game of his life. I mean, he made some miraculous catches, yeah, caught man. the balls that should have been caught. You know, Shedrick caught the balls that should have been caught. Bo, I, I thought Bo played well. I, I really do. He, and, he, and it was – He had one little stretch was, probably if you were being super critical. I mean, he had a little stretch where – when the momentum was changing, the momentum was shifting there in the middle of the game, and I can't remember what drive it was, but he had a drive where he he threw behind Kobe Hudson on just a little simple crossing route, yep. and um, and so well, he throws and, and, when you're like, 
Mm, yeah, like, he had some throws where you thought, okay, get get your head back going. There, there, there was a scenario in that game, and I, I can't quite remember it, but those folks that have either watched it on television or gone back and watched the, the TV cuts, there was a possession in that ball game. It looked to me as if they didn't know the down and distance. That there was a – it was like – Oh, it was like third, third and eight, third and nine. He throws a you know a five yard out to either from or deal Shanker. to Shanker, and Shanker just dips on out of bounds. Yeah, and and it's fourth and four. Yeah, well, and the offense is just sitting there, and and it's not even a they're not even in the in the you know in the field of play where you would consider going for it. I mean, it's they're clearly in their in their territory. What in the world? Where's your head at? You know, why, why aren't, what are you thinking? And then that was about the same time that he had a couple of errant throws. And, you know, you do question, all right, where you need to get back dialed in. I do think it's obviously after what is perceived as a, as an ankle injury, he was hampered. You know, they, it really, really limited his ability to get out of the pocket and try and make some plays. And that probably hampered or handcuffed Mike Bobo in his offensive play calling as well. And, but that's just stuff, man, you, you gotta, you gotta deal with it. You gotta, you gotta adapt. And it's just not something that was done yesterday. And, you know, I know we're harping on the bad and harping on whatever it's a, it's a loss to Mississippi state. Yeah. And then you, and then you obviously compound the frustration by watching Ole Miss do what they're supposed to do last night and beat A&M and keep you in contention to win the West. Well, now, oh, well, they're just, they're just two more SEC games. And I grant, granted, this is the, one of them is the Iron Bowl, but it is, it is as it should be, and, and mostly uh, most of the case is and always will be, just a sheer matter of pride as far as the Iron Bowl goes. It's not going to have any type of postseason scenarios on it. It's not going to be who wins, goes to the SEC championship, whatever that scenario may play out or has played out as a result of yesterday's game. But, man, you you would have loved to have Jordan Hare be filled with that level of pressure for the Iron Bowl to determine the SEC Western Division champion. But, you know. If ifs, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, that was disappointing. Auburn had an opportunity in front of them, um, and, and they essentially blew it. I, I mean, you know, technically, you know, I don't, you know, technically Arkansas could beat Alabama. Auburn could beat Alabama. You know, I think there might still be a path, but, but um, in all reality, that, that opportunity is gone. Um, now, look, before the season, I don't think any Auburn fans or supporters or pundits um, thought that opportunity would ever be in front of Auburn. Like you, right. you, you could be in November and have a chance to win the West. That'd be interesting. Um, but it doesn't mean that the opportunity being there and now being gone doesn't, doesn't yeah. sting. And, um, and, and then you, you listen, you are, you're hitting the nail on the head. We are, and I am, I'm guilty of it too. We are as fickle as the day is long. Yeah. You know, if you go back and listen to the first podcast that you and I did, and we talked about what our expectations were for the season. I, I literally, if I'm not mistaken, I said I would be tickled to death with an eight and four season. And I would think that would be a massive success 
that could propel them into the 2022 season, you know, have a full recruiting season under their belt, which I think will end up extremely, extremely well. And then on top of that, you're opening the doors in the fall of 2022 to 100% in, to 100% football dedicated facility. So it, things are going the right way. Things are, things are moving in the direction that we as Auburn fans want them to move. It's just, we, we, we were enamored. We were enamored by a little bit of that, a little bit of that sparkle. And, and we, we bit it hook, line and sinker when in the realm of, in the realm of reality, eight and four, seven and five with, with what Gus left behind yeah. and what job, the job that Derek and Brian and Mike and all the staff have done and the players, most importantly, what the job they have done is a, is a tremendous, tremendous effort. And they all should be commended for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that Gus left behind an eight four team. I mean, that's he left behind the team he had last year, and that that's what it is. Um, in in a spe- you you can make up for that skill players. You can, you, but you can't on the in the trenches. You you, you can't you can't right. you can't be tricky and fight. I mean, the trenches are the trenches, and that's what it is. And that that kind of makes Auburn what they are really. Um, yeah. because it goes back to the run. I mean, look, we talked about Bo Nix and the game he had, uh, the running game. Uh, Tank Bigsby had 33 carries for, uh, I mean, 33 yards on seven carries in the first quarter. He had, um, he had, I think, eight carries for nine yards for the rest of the game. Um, that makes no sense. I mean, I thought the first quarter, I said, look, this is as good as Auburn's run the ball against a power five opponent this year. Like, this is as consistently. Jarquez had a couple good runs. Tank had some good runs. They were consistently running the ball well in that first quarter. I think they had about probably 60 yards from the running backs or so. Um, and I'm like, this is as consistent as they've been. Uh, and it just disappeared, just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, just as yeah. quickly as they had it, you count in sacks. Obviously, Finley had a, you know, Finley's fumble lost him a bunch of yards. Nick's had a sack. Uh, but like I just told you, Bigsby had, you know, nine yards for the rest of the way, I think. Um, Jarquez Hunter has now gone four straight games where he hasn't topped 38 yards rushing after that great start to the season. Yep. Um, but as a team, Auburn rushed for 102 yards in the first quarter. Javaris Johnson's pass was a part of that. The rest of the game, four. Four net yards rushing in the last three quarters of the football game. Um, it, it, and that's kind of where it went. I mean, I mean, it, it does. passing it does. was there, but when it got tight, Bobo tried to go back to that running game a little bit, and it was not there. It was dis- it disappeared. It disappeared, right. and I don't bl- I don't necessarily blame him for he. Had, you got to keep doing it. Bo Bo can't air it out fifty times, but it can't disappear. And when it disappeared, and when it disappears, Auburn's balance goes out the window, and their rhythm yep. goes out the window, and and it just offense just falls off a cliff. And and, and man, it, it's very. And, and, and in my opinion, it, it starts up front, period. It starts up front. Offensive line, they have got to perform better, period. End of story. It's a mindset. They're, they are, with the exception, and with the exception of the Georgia defensive front. Now, granted, Texas A&M is really good up front. They are really good. They are not Georgia. No, look what Ole Miss did. I mean, I mean, Ole Miss exactly. is going to go off. Ely exactly. had like 150 yards rushing on them. They, they, Ole Miss. I mean, 
people people should run a clinic off of what Ole Miss did to AM last night. That that should be a full clinic of looking at how they executed offensively in order to in order to beat that AM defense that is really, really talented, really, really good. But at some point, you you've got to give yourself a gut check. It's got to be what's in your crawl. It's got to be whether or not you like getting your ass kicked. And ask yourself that question from from right tackle to left tackle. Do I have a guy that I do I have guys or a guy that I want to carry in and carry into a back alley bar fight with me? And at this point, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen those guys. Yeah. And and you know, whether it be you can go back and ask guys, like you can ask each individual quarterback over the last 40 years. They've got guys that they would tell you that about. I do. Cole Kublick would. Kendall Simmons would. Mike Pasillo would. Colin Sears would. Hart McGarry would. All those guys, would they would rather fight you than look at you. And I don't know that, I don't know that that's there. There has to be a level there has to be a level of just pure hatred of losing to in order to have you be dominant in the trenches. And every school, every every team that has that level of dominance, I guarantee you they've got those players. You go back and look at the TV cutups of the Tennessee-Georgia game that was played last night. Georgia, as dominant as they are, you can tell they like Petey Rowling guys. They enjoy pancaking linebackers. And they absolutely let you know it when they do it. It's just not, it's just not there. It, you just don't see it. And in order, in order for Auburn to get to that point of dominance, in order to, to allow Mike Bobo to utilize the weapons that he has in his backfield or in his, you know, at the receiver position, they've got to develop a sense of dominance in an absolute just road grader type offensive line. And that is obviously a work in progress. They have vastly improved. I'll give. I mean, they. I'll give them credit. They have gotten much better. Yeah. But they have a long. They have got a long way to go. Um, Brandon Allen uh, on Twitter asked, um, "Why does the offense seem to go away from plays that that were successful uh, early in the game?" And and I, you know, I think that's an that's a that's a good that's a fair question. Absolutely. I don't know that they are. I mean, I'd have to go back and look. But I mean, if you ask Brian Harson, it's execution. It's not that they just decided not to start, not to run good plays anymore. He he would say they they stopped executing, but it's really well, not. It can't be that either, though, because Brian Harson also says time and time again, teams make adjustments, and we have to, as coaches, have to know. I mean, if you're an offensive staff, here's what we're going to do. Then they're going to make this adjustment or this adjustment, and then here's what we're going to do. I mean, right? Like, I'm not even a coordinator. I know that's what they do. They, they certainly well, have to. So when those adjustments happen, let's say State makes adjustments, where were Auburn's? You, what, you've got you you've got you've got I, to I adjust. You got to adjust to their adjustments. And I and and that is a that's a great question. It's a, it's a and it's a very valid question. And I think part of it, part of the answer to that question is just the sheer evolution of offensive football. So. Again, in the Stone Ages, twenty years ago, when a when an offensive coordinator or when a play caller called a play, it had very limited options on it. You know, it was it was line here. Here's the formation, and you run outside zone. So you weren't at the disposal 
of the decision decisions being made by the quarterback during the play or as the play unraveled or, or played out. Yeah. In in today's offensive game, they they very well may be calling the same play 10 times, but the decision that Bo makes in the midst of that play could vary on every single play call. You know, he could give it one instance. He could keep it in one instance. He could throw the ball, you know, just like the touchdown run or pass that we call. So the the variables or options off of the same play call, I think really are misleading in the sense that they very well may be calling. Mike Bobo may use the exact same terminology 15 times in one game, but it has so many variations off of it that the decision – the, the variable of it is the decision that Bo makes in the heat of the moment. Now, here's, here, here's my answer to that. You tell Bo what to do. You say, I don't care if this has six options. Yeah. You have the ball to tank. You know, same scenario. This, this goes back to, in my mind, this goes back to the Penn State, two point, the Penn State fourth down, Right. When Brian Hartson comes back, says, "Yeah, that play call has five different options on it," you know, and you know, yada yada yada. That's the decision that Bo made. This, that, and the other. Well, it may have five options on it, but you're the head coach, and you've got the best player on the field standing next to Bo, who's been gashing Penn State's defense for the last two quarters. Given the damn ball, tell Bo, I don't care how many options this has on it. We're gonna we're gonna commit to option number two, and that's give it to number four. Yeah. So it, it, the the offensive play caller, the offensive coordinator, has full autonomy over what happens. You can call a play with multiple variations, but you can also dictate which variation takes place. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair question. It, and the more I think about the defense, you know, again, some of these questions, I, I don't think. Um, I don't think we'll get a straight answer. I don't think we'll get the the real story to in terms of the defense. If you think about, obviously we go to well, what, where were the adjustments? Where was the pressure? Where was the blitzing? Where 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 was the change? Um, well, that clearly wasn't the game plan. Um, Auburn was going to go in pressure with three, force the underneath stuff, tackle well, um, which they did in the first half. Look, Mississippi State had coming into that game had eighteen hundred something yards. After the catch, receiving. They had zero yards after the catch at halftime. Auburn was doing what they wanted to do, tackle. Tackle, tackle, tackle. If the offense doesn't fall off a cliff, Auburn wins. No matter what Mississippi State did in the second half, Auburn still wins that game. As disappointing as the defensive effort would have been in the second half, Auburn wins that game. So, you know, I have to wonder if Mason's up there calling defense, thinking we're going to, if anything, we're going to keep doing what we're doing and hold them off. Okay, if they get some more yards, because, okay, if they get another touchdown. He, because he okay, thinks, if they get another touchdown, if if the if the if the offense gives me ten points, that's yeah. thirty-eight. Then I have to give up four second-half touchdowns just for the game to be tied. Yep. You got to think Mason's going. Well, I don't think we're going to give up four. I certainly don't think we're going to give up more than four touchdowns in the second half. So I mean, why would I make it easier for him by blitzing and giving up a big play at the end of the game? Now, having said that. At some point, I don't know, beginning of the fourth quarter, when it's 
when, when, when Mississippi State takes the lead, like at some point you have to go, okay, all right, I tried, I tried, I tried. The offense has clearly hit, hit a brick wall here, and we look, quite literally cannot stop them. Now I've got to adjust something. It, at yeah. some point when that switch happened, when it became 29, 28, maybe, I guess, or something like that, you got to go, okay, well, now, 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 now I have to bring pride. Now we got to switch it up for sure. I have to do that. And that didn't seem, they had those two plays where they had a sack and then the Moultrie targeting call, which we haven't even talked about yet. Um, but the Moultrie was just a good play. I mean, they did bring a corner blitz, but Moultrie made a good play. But, but really, they didn't start bringing any additional pressure. The couple guys just made, made some plays there. So I, I get Mason sticking with it for a while, but by the, by the start of the fourth quarter, Something should have shifted, and, right. and we didn't see that. And that's what I what and, I wouldn't and, understand. And two, and and when you think about it from an offensive line perspective or an offensive perspective, if you're only rushing four and you bring an additional player, that's that's. Additional defense, you know, so. That's nothing out of the norm for what these guys on the offensive line see on a day-in, day-out basis. When when we when we talk about blitzes, when we talk about dead level cover cover one, cover zero blitzes, we're meaning we're referring to bringing more hats than they have to block. They've got five, you bring six. Yeah. You know that that level of pressure, and the you know again. There was an instance where Robert, Roger McCreary came on a came on a corner crash. It was it was successful. They end up it was a little bit of a little bit of a coverage, what I would call a coverage sack. Yeah, yep. Um, because it was wasn't something instantaneous. The left the left tackle picked up McCreary easily. Yeah. Um, the the TD Moultrie call was absolute garbage. It, it was it was absolute garbage, and that was a that was a very very. That was a huge momentum shift because they obviously went down and scored. Yeah, and you know it was a, it was a really bad kick in the gut for Auburn, especially right. defensively. Yeah, but yeah. it took it, it took the air out of their sails hundred percent. There were five, if I'm not mistaken, there were five third downs, third and longs, converted or perceivably converted by the referees in their flags for Mississippi State. There, now, yeah, there, well, there were five. There were five first downs for sure. I know there were five first downs that were that Mississippi State gained via yeah. penalty. I don't know that they yeah. were all third downs, but Mississippi State converted a couple other third and longs. But there were and, five defensive penalties that gave Mississippi State a first down. And and I'll I, I'll go so far as to say too, though, with the sheer number of times that you that they throw the football. You have obviously a much higher propensity for defensive pass interference. I get it; that happens. It is what it is, and you, you just got to kind of take that with a grain of salt because what Rogers was so—he was so precise and so accurate that all right. Let's say you do have a guy. All right, I'm going to play off him a little bit, give him a little bit of space so that I don't interfere. Well. Okay, Rogers is going to hit him right in stride, and it's going to be a first down anyway. So it, it you're you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. So you expect those. But then on the instance where the, I mean, I, I still I'm harping on this TD Moultrie targeting call, which was I, I just man, 
I don't, I, there was nothing else he could have done. hundred percent, nothing else he could have done. It was a, it was a tremendous play. Great effort by him. It was face mask to face mask. I mean, basically he bear hugged the kid. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a bear hug. And just to set up, it was 36, 28. Um, at that point, it was second and 16. It would have been third and 21 with, without, it was about to be third and 21, eight point game. Uh, you know, whatever, like whatever there was eight, eight minutes, whatever. Um, and, and you have Mississippi state who doesn't have a good field goal kicker. Um, so who knows what happens? I mean, it's up in the air right there. If Mississippi state gets any points at that point, completely up in the air. Yep. So I don't know, man, it just is, it's frustrating to talk about. There's, you walk away with, you walk away with, with with a handful of positives. I mean, obviously they executed certain scenarios very well and 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 scored points in the first half. Um, defensively, they did some things in the first half, first quarter, I guess, that were you know opportunities for for development. But there's also a large bag full of plays and things that happened in that ball game on all three phases of the game that you know there's some things you got to take back to the drawing board. And and as a coaching staff, you wonder what they do, or you wonder how they how they really coach against this repeating itself. In my mind, you take fifteen defensive plays from yesterday's game. You take fifteen offensive plays from yesterday's game. You watch them one time, and you're done with it. Move on. Don't let Mississippi State beat you twice. And because there's 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 tons of film that you can go watch and, and and really dissect and drive yourself crazy. Tell the guys we're going to watch this one time. When it's done, it's done. We, yeah. you, we we suffered enough embarrassment. There's no sense in rubbing salt in the wound. It's over and move on. Because I'm I'm telling you, if they linger on this too long, they're going to go over to an upstart South Carolina team in Columbia and and get beat. And they cannot afford that to happen. But that would be a whole nother level. I mean, we the yeah. Mississippi State loss is one thing. South Carolina, yes, they beat Florida, but we see what Florida's issues are right now. South Carolina just lost to Missouri um, this weekend. Um, but look, if we look as of, as as of us recording this, we don't know the status of Bo Nix. And if TJ Finley starts, that dramatically changes the offense. I mean, I think we've seen enough of Finley a little bit here and there to know Bo, and, and seen Bo Nix progress. Um, that that. It, that's a drop off. Um, that's a drop off, and so you know it could make that game interesting. Um, where do you go from here in terms of so? So Brian Harson um, talked about. We'll end on this. You know, he said after the game, look, moving forward, it comes down to when you come off two straight losses and you're trying to motivate and get back back on track. When adversity hits, you find out who loves football. You find out who loves preparing. You find out who loves practicing. Um, and I, I mean, I, I think that's true. Derek Hall said that uh, after the game, there was a lot of guys in that team that love football. Like you, you, we, we love football, and a lot of tears were shed. We, you know, we were not happy, not happy about that game. Um, how, how do you sort of take this moment? I mean, I I wrote that. Look, I said I wrote you know on Sunday. I said in a piece about Harson. I said let let's be clear that you know a first year coach it really isn't judged on wins and losses. They they are. But but that's not the that that for that one year it's not the most important thing, right? Um, it, there are things behind the scenes. There's foundational stuff. There's cultural stuff that has to be put in place, no matter the results. 
for that coach to run his program. That's what matters. I think I've seen a lot of good things from Brian Harson in that regard. I've seen the players respond well to a lot of that in that regard. So, you know, as, as terrible as that historic as that loss was, um, I'm not going to take it and, and, and read anything into it in terms of what I think Brian Harson will do in the future. I do think how they respond the next two games could be indicative. Um, you know, do, do they, Brian Harson's never lost three games in a row as a head coach. So do they, what if, what if that happens against Carolina? Then what if they, you know, what if, then what if they lose to Bama and it turns into four? There's some things that I think we could see over these next two weeks that could be in, indicators. Um, but I think we've seen some fight from this team too. You want to see them fight um, against Carolina, win that game, come back, be competitive against Alabama. And, and then, you know, I think that's all you can ask for at yeah. this point. I mean, this season, this team isn't going to, at this point, we know the things that Harson wants out of a program, consistency, you know, toughness, all that stuff. There's been signs of that. And then there's been signs of obviously it, it not being there. So I guess what are, what are, what's your biggest takeaway moving forward? How do you view that loss? What's the lens in which you view that state loss uh, well, moving forward? I mean, the, the lens, the lens that I view it from is extremely disappointing. I mean, just, just, and I think you've got to, you've got to look at it and take everything into, into put everything into context with regards to number one, losing at home. First place. <clears throat> and then, and then on top of that, seeing that everything was, was, somewhat within your reach still, especially knowing that Ole Miss or now knowing that Ole Miss beat Texas A&M. So that, that really compounds dif the difficulty there. Now, how, how this coaching staff, where they go from here, that's a big question. And, and you, you'll be able to see that over the next couple of weeks, obviously. And executes against South Carolina. You know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff. I mean, what do, what do you do? I mean, how do you how do you approach these kids? How do you talk to them coming off of two straight very difficult hard fought losses? Well, in, in my opinion, you don't change your philosophy. You you don't change the way you coach. Now there may be some instances where you need to love on them a little bit. You know, you need to you need to put your arm around them and let them know that you know they're working their tail off and you know they're not, they're not practicing to lose. They're not, they don't go out there with the intent of giving up 40 straight unanswered points. You know, that, those, that's not what they're doing. They're not doing that on purpose. So in order to build their confidence back up, you just, you got to let them know you support them. You got to let them know that, you know, they're working hard and it bothers them more than it bothers us. Yeah. So there, there is some, there's some building blocks that need to be placed down for these kids in order for them to continue along the path that Brian Harson and his staff want to go on. They're there. They're the kids are the kids love football. Yeah. And you, you can look at Colby Wooden, you can look at Derek Hall, you can look at the way Zacoby plays, Smoke plays. I mean, all these kids, they love playing the game of football. And thankfully for us, they're wearing orange and blue. I, I mean, I'm tickled to death with the way that they carry themselves, with the way how hard they play, the amount of enthusiasm they play with. You, you lost a game. It's disappointing. The sun came up. The sun came up the last two days. Roll on. Play the next one. One and oh. 
And I, I think that's the biggest thing is continue, continue to coach the way that you're coaching. Don't change that, but they're, but take advantage of an opportunity to put your arm around arm around one of these kids that, that might be the one, the bell cow that leads the remainder of the players and let them know that, Hey, listen, we're riding your ass. We're on you hard because we know what, what you're capable of. We know what this team is capable of doing, but we also know the level of expectations that we have for this program. We're not bringing in fives. We're looking for tens. You know, we, we expect five-star blue chip execution, and that's what our expectations are week in and week out, not only on Saturdays, but Sunday through Friday as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, we'll see. I think it's going to be a tough week of practice. Um, I, I would imagine uh, probably probably some film watching and throw it away, like you said. I can't imagine they're going to watch a lot. I mean, Mississippi State just uh, executed at a at a high level. Um, and look, I think it just it we'll we'll see what happens at the quarterback position. That could just throw another wrench into how this team responds. Obviously. Um, but we'll see. Uh, you know, look, the good news is there was good things that happened on the recruiting trail. There were some visitors there that had a good time. Um, I know it might surprise people. Well, why would you – look, you, you can always recruit to something. If you lose that game, guess what you can say? You can say, look how bad we need you, you know. Um, and so there's always a, a way to spin it in recruiting. And so I think I think Harson are still on track to have a, a pretty good first class. Um he just has to build his culture. Harson is a culture guy, and, and, and the, his program has got to be built a specific way, and he's got to have players that fit that mold for him to be successful. So that, right. that's what that's what we got to wait and see. We got to see him recruit. We got to see what happens next year. Um, I mean, it, I think every every coach to some degree is that, but Harson's very much so. I mean, if it's if you don't fit in as a as a person, as, as like, if you don't, like he said, if you don't love to sit on the front row and watch film and practice, and if you don't love the process, you're not, you're not going to fit in at, with Harson's program. And there might be some guys that leave after the year because they don't, they don't really quite fit into that. And they're like, Hey, we, we need, we need guys that are all in. Um, yeah. so there's just a lot still to determine about, obviously. <laughs> about hey. his team and staff. And so I don't, I read a column, I read a column, no way news um, after the game against Mississippi state. And it just, it didn't strike me as the right. It was, it was very much like time for talking's over, Brian actions. Now we got to see wins. It's like, come on, you're not even, you're even one season in. I mean, let's not take that tone quite yet of like everybody just basically it was like, Hey, at this point, la 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 on the one and oh stuff go win games like eh, eh, no no not no, we're not there yet that's like that's like two three seasons in when he's still saying the same stuff and you still see seven and five then then we can talk about that but not not 10 games into the first season with a team he didn't recruit. hey do, do they do they not did they not just realize that they gave they gave a specific coach seven years to, and, and and he consistently said the sa- exact same thing every press conference. Yeah, and you're and you're doing this to somebody only nine games into the season, into his first season. Just yeah. back off, let yeah. it let it let it play itself out. It's going it is going to work out. And hey, you you mentioned it after the season, there may be kids that leave, and, and coaches, and, and and you got to respect it. There may be coaches that leave. You're exactly right. 
even the best programs in the country have kids and coaches leave every single year. It happens. Yeah. It just was, it wasn't what they thought. The kid wasn't what the program thought it would be, or the coach wasn't what either, either or thought they would be. So that's part of the cycle. That's college football today. You just got to get in with it and go. Yeah. Well, it'll be an interesting week. Um, see if Auburn can bounce back against South Carolina and put put a good foot forward and at least go into that Iron Bowl with a win really is all they need. They just need a W in that column um, going into the going into the Alabama game. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens, man. Um, that was certainly a historic loss, an all-time collapse that uh, I don't know that we'll ever completely believe. Um, we'll look back on that and go, I still can't believe I watched that happen. Um, but you know what? For a lot of years, I said the same thing about I was standing on the sideline for the 2010 Iron Bowl. And, and there's a lot of times where I've said the exact same thing. I've gone, that Alabama team, that Alabama team had, had no business losing a couple of games they did that year. That Alabama team was stacked and uh, they were up 24 to nothing. Like, I'm like, I still today say, I mean, I can't believe Auburn in that environment came back and won that game. So, you know, it does go both ways sometimes. And there's those games where you're just like, it's hard to explain. It's hard to yeah. explain how, how that Alabama team in that environment would, would lose that football game up 24 to nothing. McElroy had 300 yards passing in the first half of that football game. I mean, it's a similar thing. You're like, if I told you that stuff, you'd go, well, no, there's no way they lose. Yep. They did. And Auburn just got caught in that, in that, in that thing on Saturday. It just they could not – they couldn't stem the tide. They could not turn the momentum. They they just they couldn't do anything on offense to stop it, and it just became uh, became very frustrating. So it is what it is. Um, Auburn loses the game forty three thirty four. Never lost a twenty five point home uh, lead at home until Saturday. First time ever. So um, there you go. All right. Any parting words? Any parting shots? Parting wisdom for the people? Huh. Just hang in there with them. <laughs> there it is it's it is things are as difficult as yesterday was or excuse me as difficult as saturday was they're they're moving in the right direction i, I still have the utmost confidence in, in all of these players i still have the utmost confidence in brian harson and, and and Derek mason and mike bobo and all this these staff members they're doing some great things not only for these for these young men that are currently in the program but they're going to do a lot of great things for for the recruits. They're going to do a lot of great things for these young men as they as they grow and develop. And I'm I'm telling you, this is these are building blocks. You just got to get on board, support them, and you know, yeah, you you got every right to be critical. I, I understand that. That's the age we're in. But when it's all said and done, I swear to you, they don't like giving up a 25 point lead any more than we liked watching it. I promise you that. So just pump the brakes a little bit on all the critiquing and, and criticism and, you know, and, and, and just jumping on people's back and jumping on top of their heads. Just slow down a little bit. Let them, let them go win in Columbia next weekend, and it'll make that Iron Bowl. It'll make that Iron Bowl pretty good. Yeah. All right, Ben, thanks for joining us, man, as always. You got it, Hope. War Eagle. All right, AuburnLive.com, go subscribe, be a part of the site. Cole Pinks and Jeffrey Lee do a great job with recruiting, uh, and our site and team will only be growing. 
um, as we grow. So it's an awesome place to be. Come be a part of it. AuburnLive.com. We'll see you next time. Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.